Mastering your mind is one of the most complex things I think we can do as people, not just as Christians. And last week, we started with the subject in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the beginning of, of verse 5, talking about the, the, the mind and what is required to master the mind. And so I broke it up into two parts. And I think that's the easiest because there's so much there and I just don't want to get to the point where we you know, forget what we're you know, hearing on a Sunday morning. I want us to stay focused. So what, what is it to master your mind, to have uh, control of your mind? What does it mean? How do you do that? And so I began to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. And the, lo- the more I dug in, the more I realized there is a recipe, if you would, to mastering the mind. And I think Paul gave it very clear. He started off in the verse prior, verse 4. He said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. So, we learned last week as we got into this that there is strongholds that are built around our mind. And strongholds, at this period of time, were made to keep the enemy out. Or if an enemy built the stronghold, it would be almost like to keep the others in, if you would. So the mind is in the center, the stronghold is built around, and it's made in such a way that it's high, it's strong, it's not, it can't be penetrated, it can't be torn down. And so what it's done for us, it's, it's literally in our minds when a stronghold is built, it's like putting a prison wall around our mind. And so Paul says... The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they're not physical. They're not, they're not guns. They're not knives. They're not swords or anything like that. In order to win this war for your mind, you have to be spiritually minded. And then he breaks it down. In verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And then he says, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. All right, so... Let's, let's, get, let's get into this. So last week, we talked about the beginning of that verse, casting down imaginations. Um, it, it, it was step one. It's, it's destroying, literally, it's destroying piece by piece the wall that's around your mind and dismantling it. That's what it means to cast down. It means to destroy it. And then we talked about the imagination is taking fictional and factual things that control our mind in ripping them apart because if we don't, they, become, they begin to dominate your way of thinking. Is everybody with me? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Are y'all focused this morning? Come on now. I want to get you a dreamy coffee over there. Starbucks, I had five shots of espresso and it hasn't quite kicked in yet. I really need you to focus, all right? I need you to, I need you to really focus today because if you don't, you're going to miss the whole point of mastering the mind. So here it is. It, it, imaginations is taken fictional and factual. It's like something happened as a kid. This is the factual. This is, I was abused. I was neglected. Now, years later, I'm around people that I feel are going to be, abuse me and neglect me. And I'm thinking in my mind, this is going to happen. And through that, I developed this imagination, this idea that was factual and now fictional. And I brought it together to create this imagination that needs to be tore down because now I'm allowing it to surround my way of thinking, building a stronghold and captivating, controlling my mind, 
which is going to make me where I can never be successful because I'm always going to be fearful of what people think or fearful of relationships or fearful of friendships because of the abandonment I had when I was a kid. All right, everybody got that. I said imaginations was one thing that has to be cast down last week, but also exaltations, which means anything that exalts itself above God or his way that he has asked us to think needs to be cast down. Now, thoughts is is totally different. I explained that there's a difference between imaginations and thoughts because the last part of this passage of Scripture is bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. So today we're going to look at step two. Capturing thoughts. Last week was casting down imaginations. When we look at this, we realize some very important things about capturing. Let's read the verse again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Capturing is defined as bringing under control. All right? It means you got to control those thoughts. Someone once said that your, your mind can either be a, a beautiful servant or a dangerous master, which makes sense because if you're not mastering your mind, uh, then somebody else is. And you have to understand that I, in order to master my mind, I have to control what's in there. To control your thoughts means that they are in subjection. They're under control. Uh, Their submission is obedience to God. And how is that accomplished? Well, he makes it easy for us to understand that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, and bring into captivity means to capture, to trap. So the first thing is this, you have to trap it. Now I'm going to make sense of this, I promise. When I was growing up in Alabama, I always have great stories about Alabama. My grandfather had 270,000 chickens, right? They're not just running around. It was layer houses, long layer houses. How many of you know what a, a layer house is? Have you ever been in a layer house? Yeah. It's the worst smell on earth, yeah. right? Imagine 270,000 chickens pooing every 15 minutes. It's overwhelming. But in those layer houses, we've learned some things as a kid that there's a lot of rattlesnakes because they love they love eggs. And this was in the hills, the mountains of Gunnersville. But also on a farm, you had chickens, you had acres and acres of cows, but also wild cats. And I, I, at that time, I, I didn't know any better. I thought cats were okay. You know, I, was, I thought they were cute, fluffy creatures. And so me and my brothers, we would, we, my, we would try to capture, trap these cats, right? Because they were wild cats and they were everywhere. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a pet cat? And so we would set up these uh, cartoon-style <laughs> traps, you know, with a stick and a little basket or a bucket and then put some food there and then we'd pull the stick and then the cat, yeah, well, kind of worked once in a while. So what I've realized is with these wild cats, <laughs> when you did catch them, they weren't anything like I thought they would be. For a matter of fact, they were horrible. They, they were awful. They were uncontrollable. And from that point on, I despised cats because they would always tear me up. And I always think to myself, I have a decision to make at this point. Either I give them to lightning and thunder or we try to rehabilitate them. Lightning and thunder were the Dovermits my grandfather had. And they hated cats. And every time they had a chance, they'd kill a cat. I think thoughts are the same way. Our thoughts are like wild cats. And they're everywhere. 
and they're going here and going there. And when you finally get a hold of it and trap it, it wants to just tear you up and bow against everything you know is right or the right way to think. Are y'all following me? That's why it is so difficult to trap our thoughts. So how do you capture or trap an unruly thought? Uh, You've got to do it this way. And, I, and I'm going to be very visual, okay? I'm a visual person. How many are very visual? How many are not visual? You, you can catch on just giving, being given directions. A few of you? Good for you. <laughs> if I'm going to take out the trash, I'd like for my wife to draw out details. You know, that's how I am. And, and, and I may even look at her because she's, she's so used to me being visual, she writes everything out. It could be something simple like taking out the trash. And she'll just say, let me just show you. I'm going to write this down, okay? This is you. This is the trash can. And, of course, I reply, I don't need you to do that. And then I go to take out the trash. I'm like, can I have that piece of paper while I'm at this? I'm being dramatic. But the point is, is this. I am not trying to disrespect anybody in here. Because if you're a thinker and you don't need a visual, then great. That's good for you. But for me, I think it's easier to understand if I, if I make it a visual. So when it comes to capturing your thoughts, to trap the un, unruly thoughts, you have to make it visual. You have to pull those thoughts out and confront them. And so you have to take them from a mental to a visual picture. So I'm going to do that, okay? And I'm going to break it down for you. You do this by simply writing them down. So I, I picked this because it looks, well, like a skeleton in a creepy way. I think all of us need to understand that there are thousands and thousands of thoughts running through our mind every single day. And with every one of those thoughts, there is a decision that has to be made. Which ones are good and which ones are bad? And for me to make that decision, I have to understand those thoughts. So I have to trap those thoughts. And in order to trap those thoughts, I have to pull them out and I have to write them down. I literally need to write down every single one of those thoughts. Now, why is this so important? Because if you do not write them down, you will not understand them. In order to write them down, you must seek them out. Now, follow along with me. I hope you're with me. You do this with sincere prayer. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. He's there to lead you and guide you and give you peace and understanding. David said it this way, Psalms 139 and verse 23 and verse 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Now, there's a reason he said that. Because if you know David at this period of time, his thoughts were in places they should not be. If you remember the name Bathsheba. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. In other words, I want you to dig deep in this brain, God and pull out everything that shouldn't be there and reveal it to me. I want to trap it, control it, and understand it. And in order to do that, I need to pull it out and clearly see what that thought is and write it down. So here we are. We're entrapping these thoughts. And after you entrap it, the question is, what do you do with it? Like, I have clarity. I know exactly what these thoughts are in my head. I've written them down. I'm looking directly at them. It's visual. But now what do I do with it? After we would catch a wild cat, the question was, first, who's going to reach in there and pull the cat out? Because every time we'd reach in there to grab the cat, it would just scratch us and tear us up and even bite us. And nobody wanted to mess with it. 
that was that moment where we were thinking, maybe we cannot uh, train a cat. Because <laughs> cats are different than dogs, you know? It, there's no doubt, you can't tell a cat, sit, stay, roll over, play dead. This is why cats are worthless. Dogs do everything. And so I realized at that very moment, I have this wild cat. I have it under my control. I've entrapped it. I visually can see it. But now what do I do with it? Because I want to rehabilitate it. I want it to be my pet, my fluffy. But it's not going to happen that way. Because they think different than the way we do. But these thoughts in our mind may be... A good example of thinking on a wild cat, but these thoughts we have are not cats. They can be put in submission and we can get them to obey. But the question is how? And according to verse 5, we are to put our thoughts in obedience to God. This means we are to evaluate each thought. Now watch this. And make sure each thought is in accordance to God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, the next part. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now that I have my thoughts under control, I have entrapped them, the question must be asked, what is the problem with the way I've been thinking? I, I see it. I, I can visually see what my thoughts are, these negative thoughts. I've written them down. And now I need to know what is the problem. So I have to compare the Bible with your thought. I have you and me both are required to take the thoughts that we have taken out of our minds and written them down and see if this is contrary to God's Word. I know this sounds very simplistic, but if we are not putting our thoughts in submission to God, then our thoughts are can continually be wild and out of control. In order to do this, we have to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus' mindset was obedience to the Heavenly Father. Jesus said, no matter what my priority is to obey God, my Heavenly Father. And the Bible says in Philippians 2.8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, being Jesus, and became obedient unto death. In other words, it didn't matter how hard it was going to be, I'm going to do it because this is the will of the Father. I know what I am to do. I'm to be in obedience to Him. So let me break this down, okay? In order to properly evaluate now, I have entrapped it, now I have to evaluate it. In order to properly do that, in comparison to God's Word, you have to categorize them. This is the easiest way I know how to do. I've pulled the thoughts from my mind. I've written them down. I know what they are. I've entrapped them. Now that I have them under, under control, I need to evaluate them. All right, and the only way you can evaluate a thought is to categorize them. Are you all with me? Yes, sir. This is the simplest way to do this. You have to figure out what is spiritual. Is this my preference or is this what the Bible says? And then I take that and I set it aside and I say, all right, this is spiritual. And then I go, what is physical? Am I self-consumed? Or am I just trying to be healthy because my body is the temple? And so I look at that and I'm comparing that with God's Word. So you got spiritual, you got physical, and then I pull out the social. 
my socially, what's going on socially in my life? Do I put others first or do I put my first, myself first? And I take that and I place it and I, and I categorize it. Is everybody with me so far? Yes, sir. <clears throat> I do this with everything. And then financially, am I a, a good steward of God's money or do I consider it my money? I can answer that question. If you never give back, you don't tithe, don't give offerings, you don't give to the poor or help those that are in, in need, something's missing there. And then I have another category, sexually. Do I want to please me or do I want to please God? What does God expect out of me when it comes to things that are sexual? And so I take that and I place it. Each one of these are categories. And there's other categories that you could add to this. But I picked these categories because these are probably the top of the list of categories. So the first step is I entrap it. In order to entrap it, I have to write it down and make it visual. The second step is to evaluate it. In order to evaluate it, I have to categorize it. I have to put them in categories. Each one of these, let me just say this, can be different. Spiritually, physically, financially, socially, sexually, there's a lot involved with each one of those. But when I categorize them, I now have to compare them with what? The Word of God. Is this in obedience to this? You say, well, I, I, I believe that it's okay to have premarital sex. Well, that's great. That's what you think. Let me say it. It's not great. It's what you think. You've categorized sexually, this is the way you think, but it's not in obedience with what God says. Because marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. And, and anything outside of that Bible calls a whoremonger. So your area of sexuality is not in line with God. So you have to make sure it's an obedience to Him, the way you've been thinking in that area, that category. Financially, you say, well, you know what? We just spend, spend, spend. It's, it's just what we do. We've never had budget. My parents never had a budget. We've never tithed. We throw a few bucks out there once in a while to the church, but that's about it. There's a problem there. Number one, you're not being a good steward of God's money. You're, you're not giving back. And so, therefore, you're not in obedience with that way of thinking with God's Word. Is everybody following me? So, in order for me to, to literally capture my thoughts, I have to entrap them. And in trapping them, they become visual. I write them down. And then I have to evaluate them. And by evalu evaluating them, I put them in categories that make sense to me. And then with those categories, I start to break it down and compare it to God's Word. The reason it must be done this way is because you have 6,000 thoughts going through your mind a day. And out of those 6,000 thoughts, you have... Subconscious and conscious thoughts. The, the subconscious thoughts are the thoughts that are just natural. They happen. There's nothing wrong with those. But those conscious thoughts are the ones that we have to stop and say, is this a thought that is good or is this a thought that is bad? Because this thought, if it's not a conjunction with God's word, is not a good way of thinking. This is what's wrong with the world, my friends. This is the problem. Every man thinketh he's right in his own eyes. That's what the Bible says. But the end thereof is destruction. So because people do not control the way of their thinking, they are out of control altogether. 
So how do these areas in my life line up with God's Word? And if we do not put our thoughts in obedience with God's Word, then they'll continue to run wild. So is everybody with me so far? Is this, is, are you gathering your thoughts here? No pun intended. I'm just wanting you to really understand this because I feel like people walk away after they hear a message and they go, I think I get it. But if you, I, I want it to be so simplistic that you can't deny it, okay? So if you're stuck in this rut mentally and you haven't mastered your mind after you hear these truths, then it's on you, right? And it's on me. So the next thing that is very important to understand is this. It's never about the way you think. It's all about the way God thinks. That's a necessity. And in order to do that, we have to be transformed. So let me break it down. Capture your thoughts. You have to entrap it. You have to evaluate it but you have to transform it. I'm not going to stay in the same passage of Scripture. I'm going to veer off to another passage of Scripture that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And he said, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Paul said it this way. He explained, and I, I touched on this at Worship in the Park. Paul explains that in order to be transformed or transform your mind, you have to renew your mind. Um, this is interesting. The Greek word transform is uh, defined as internal. It, it's starting from the inside and working out. That's what it means to renew. It doesn't mean you eliminate everything. It's just eliminating the parts that are not right. You know how many times my van's transmission went out? I can't even count. One after another. I think we've replaced between all of our vehicles at least four transmissions, if not five. Now, I never bought a new transmission. What I do is let them rebuild the transmission. Do you understand the difference? To rebuild the transmission means I'm going to keep the parts that still work and replace the parts that don't work. To renew your mind means I keep the parts that are good and replace the parts that are bad. In other words, you say, I believe in commitment. Me and my girl, we've been together forever. We've been living together. Well, you got one thing right. You believe in commitment. That's the good parts. The bad parts is fornication. You're living together. That's against God's word. So you eliminate that way of thinking, which is under the category of sexuality. Sexual, you're not right. Compare it with God's word. And if it's not an obedience, then there's a problem. So we renew. We replace that part with the right way of thinking. When you start replacing the bad parts with God's word, everything lines up. Let me tell you, you start tithing, God starts blessing. You stay committed to the Lord and into your spouse because you got married. The Bible says that's honorable and God will honor you. All of these things just work together. You say, I just let Susie do whatever she wants. We just communicate. We communicate. I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't line up with God's word. So parenting could be on there. So we just communicate. They know something when it goes to, no, no, don't do that. No. There's correction that is intentional in God's word. You say that's abuse. It's not. A, we're not talking about physical abuse. We're talking about biblical correction. I'd rather. I remember Ellie over and over again. We were in uh, in uh, Tennessee. She would love to go up to the oven every time it opened up, and she'd just want to touch the oven, the glass. She just want to look in the little window. And I'd say, No, Ellie. No, Ellie. No, Ellie. And finally, one day when I turned, I opened the oven, and she put her little hands on. And she had to go to the emergency room. She had these huge bubbles and third-degree burns, and it was horrible for weeks and weeks. I should have just said, no, 
No, Ellie. Because I know according to the word of God, that type of correction is a necessity for a child. Not abuse, not bruising, not bleeding, but it's chastening a child to get them to understand this is not right. And because I do that, it'll prevent you from doing other things in the future that are going to mess you up because parenting has to be an obedience to God. It's not your way of thinking, it's the God's way of thinking. Man, everybody wants to go to these YouTubers and they want to go to these podcasts and everybody has a book and everybody have influencers and everybody loves Pinterest and all these things that are said. None of that matters if it is not in conjunction in obedience to God's word. So your way of thinking is a necessity to compare it to God's word. So you have to be transformed. I'm going to go back to this, all right? Everybody understand where we're at? Transform means to replace the things that are not right, starting from the inside working out. I love the way Jesus said it. This is the best way to look at it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. And then he says, now, loving your, your neighbor is a good part. That's the good parts, right? But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully, despitefully use you and, and persecute you. Now, that, that's the bad parts. That, in other words, he's saying, I know culturally the idea is love your neighbor and then really hate the ones that do you wrong. But he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the script on you. I'm telling you, if you want your thoughts in obedience to what I say, then you not only love your neighbor, but you love your enemies too. You say, well, they don't deserve it. Do you know what they did to me? Uh, the, the casualties that are involved in our lives. Well, Jesus goes on to explain this in verse 45. He says, I, I, he blesses those with the Son that are good and evil. In other words, I, I don't, it's the just and the unjust I bless. So don't preach at me, being the Son of God, when it comes to blessing those that are not good to you. Because I know what it's like to do good for those that are not good. It's about doing what I say, not what you feel. So what happens is we create bitterness and anger in our hearts and we allow those things to develop and we justify them. So whatever that category is, we brought justification there saying, well, you don't understand, you don't know what's going on. Spiritually, you don't know what's going on. Physically, uh, financially, socially, this is what I've experienced. This is what I'm dealing with. And it's because of this person or that person or blah, 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 blah. And you're holding on to that. And the Lord says, wait a second. These are the bad parts. We, we know where you're at. But there's something about forgiveness that's liberating. Real biblical forgiveness, by the way. Biblical forgiveness means you don't keep on throwing it up to that person's face over and over and over again. Man, if Jesus did that, or if God did that, what overwhelming, how overwhelming would that be for us? So Jesus says, listen, whether they deserve it or not, your way of thinking has to be this. I am going to do good for this person regardless of who this person is because it is the right way to think. And so it's an obedience to God's word. I feel like when it comes to this transformation, the way of thinking, it's not always easy. It's very, very difficult. Bitterness is one of the lead causes of spiritual decay. It, it, and, and pride would be the other one. It's so easy to get ate up with that. Romans 6, 8 says, For to be carnally minded is death, 
But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's something about being in conjunction with the Lord and letting your mind be transformed, renewed, replacing bad parts with good parts that just makes life sweet. It's just an easier way of thinking. Studies have found that our brains are adaptable. I don't know if you realize that, but you can rewire your brain. It's, it's these, these pathways, the ways we think can be changed. But if we don't make a decision to entrap, to visually see what they are, categorize them, and compare them to God's Word, then it's going to be very difficult to transform them into what they were meant to be. Transform means you've got to completely change the way you think in that category. Everybody is raised differently. And I'm just going to finish with this. Every one of us has been raised differently. Some of us are raised in homes where they don't say yes ma'am and no ma'am or thank you or no thank you. And then there's others that are raised in a home that everything's yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, thank you, no thank you, being polite and kind. And then we justify whatever way we were culturally raised for the way we are and the way we think. We say, well, that's just the way I am because that's the way I was raised. I'm sorry. You can only use your parents as a crutch for so long. Eventually, you're going to have to be a big boy and a big girl and accept the fact that you are responsible for the way you are acting and the way you react. So this category, whatever it is, your social skills, if, if you're off and you're still leaning on the idea, your own understanding that it's because of this person and this person, then you're going to have to let it go because it's not lining up with this person. And on the day of judgment, we're going to have to stand before God and go, okay, I guess I can't blame them right now because it's just me and you, God. And God says, yeah, it's just me and you. And what you've been thinking and the way you've been acting is not in conjunction and obedience to what I've been saying. Is everybody with me? I'm so tired of crutches. Stop using a crutch for all the categories in your life that have allowed you to think the wrong way. It doesn't work. Y'all follow me? I love my dad. My dad was a provider. Amazing man. He taught me how to build. He taught me to love tools. My dad taught me to be consistent and faithful. And there were some things that my dad taught me even when it came to spiritual matters like being a tither. I love tithing. Even as a little boy, I'd give 10%. Clean up this big yard that was the gas station. Cigarette butts everywhere. And I'd have to clean them all up and I got 10 bucks. My brothers got 10 bucks. And then we gave $1 back to the church. Because we just that's the way we were raised. But here's the thing. There's a lot of things about my dad. That he, in, in ways he raised me that I do not agree with. And you say, well, is that the way you do things now? No, I don't. You know why? Because I'm going to hold on to those areas that I know are good. But just like a, trans, just like a transmission, I'm going to remove the areas that I learned from my father and replace them with what I know is right. Because I can't use my dad as an excuse. You know what I'm saying? So well, I already you don't say sorry. You just let them, let them deal with it. I was raised where you don't say, I love you. Well, you were raised wrong. You know why I know you were raised wrong? Because it's not in conjunction with the Word of God. It's not in obedience to what God says. And, and the fact of the matter is we hold on to those things and then we lose track of what we have because our thoughts are wrong. Man, one of the greatest things I ever did in my life as a parent is learn to say, I'm sorry I was wrong. That was wrong. That was, that was a, a, a bad thing to do. Horrible thing to do. You know why? Because it's biblical to humble yourself. Not to provoke your kids to wrath. It's always, it provokes your children to wrath when you're the perfect one and they're always the bad one. You understand? 
You gotta retrans you gotta transform your way of thinking and realize it doesn't matter culturally or 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 socially the way I was raised or what environment I was raised in. I cannot use that as an excuse. I must put my mind in submission to God's word, and by doing so, you're mastering your mind. Man. I just, how do we miss this? I don't, you have to trap it, evaluate it, transform it in order to master it. And there's no other way. There's no other way. Well, my, my, my family just wasn't very caring. So it's really difficult for me to show that to my kid. Well, work at it. Work at it. Come on. We're big people. We can handle this, right? We got a license. If somebody entrusted us to get in a vehicle and drive around the neighborhood, and they're going 75 miles per hour, but we can't be entrusted with making a decision that dictates the way we speak, right? Right? I mean, come on now. And that's the problem. If we can just put aside the crutches of life and realize that we are responsible to capture our thoughts to entrap them, to visually see what they are by writing them down, categorize them by evaluating them in comparison to God's word to make sure they're in obedience to what he says. And what is not has to be transformed, renewed, so I can have the mastering of the mind. All right, I'm, I'm, everybody's either really catching on to what I said today or, or you're really zoned because I mean, like, storms rushing in here. We got, we got food on our mind. But I want you to know today that you're not alone. The exhaustion you're feeling, your, your anxiety, we all deal with it in some shape, form, or fashion. I mean, I have dealt with it more at age 44 than I ever had in my life. And I don't even understand. I'm just being transparent. I have found myself night after night sitting or, or laying in my bed and just thinking and thinking on all kinds of crazy thoughts that are not even true. And I'm always looking for a crutch to excuse what I've been doing. But I just can't do that if I want to master my mind. And then going back to last week, you know, the imaginations, Christian and Ellie just took their first road trip and they went up to the Cleveland area. And I'm thinking the whole time you guys were gone, I'm thinking, what if they get in a car wreck? What if Christian gets tired? I, and I, I don't like monsters, but I, well, yeah, I do like monsters, but I know we're not supposed to drink. And so I told the kids, did you drink a monster? And they're like, yeah, dad, we drank a monster. What, what kind of parent said, well, drink another one, drink another one and a cup of coffee while you're at it. Because I'm freaking out. I have all these imaginations that my kid gets in a wreck and they're crying out, Dad, where are you? My legs are gone. You know, I'm freaking out. You know, I'm just being transparent. I know. I'm dramatic. I, I don't want to live like this. I mean, I've had some weird aches and pains lately and I've literally thought again, is it cancer? Am I ate up with cancer? I don't want to go to the doctor because he's going to say, you have two weeks to live. I'm like, what am I going to do with these two weeks? I'm going to start eating sweets again because I haven't ate sweets in 12 years. That's the first thing I'm going to do. I won't be spiritually minded, I'm sure. My point is, is this. That's what Satan loves to work on. Those are called strongholds. And he builds those bricks around your brain and then he controls you. He entraps you when we're supposed to be entrapping those thoughts and ripping down those strongholds that are around our brain. It's time for us to take back our minds. It's time for us to give truth to others when they're making excuses for their way of thinking.
Y'all with me?